0: All right, let's jam another episode of Keo Conversations. My name is Mark Champagne. I am your host and it is my job to unpack these stories and mental fitness practices of people living at the top of their game personally and professionally. Today I'm chatting with Jesse, who is the Director of Development and Communications for Jack.org, which is Canada's only youth mental health charity that helps trains and empowers young leaders to revolutionize mental health. He's also recently been leading the development of Be There, an engaging tool for people to learn how to support one another through mental health struggles. BeThere.org actually launched this week on Monday, and we're really proud to announce we have a complimentary Keo pack loaded with reflective questions to help you help others, but of course, help yourself at the same time. So check it out, Jack.org, BeThere.org, and a Keo pack to help complement all of this enjoy the conversation with jesse before we jump in i do want to send a special thanks to everyone who reached out and signed up for quick phone interviews to provide some feedback on keo which is our digital journal and mental fitness app where you'll find all of these awesome guests loaded in-app to help guide you through your daily reflection so huge thanks to everyone who participated it means the world to us and have the absolute best day yet Jesse, welcome thanks, Mark. Happy to be chatting with you absolutely. first question to kick this this whole chat off is just simply who are you or what defines you as a person
1: uh It's a great question and a big one um, i think uh i'm a I'm a flawed person, like I think most of us are that's trying to do something positive every day yeah. and uh that, for me, means within my job, within the things I do in my free time, within my interactions with people, and I say flawed because I don't make the world a better place on a daily basis or in every moment, but overall, I think that's what I'm trying to do, and part of that means some self-reflection on trying to improve and, sure. and be better, but uh, yeah, I think I'm a person trying to do good uh, despite mistakes and everything else. Yeah.
0: I mean, I think that's a very authentic answer, right? I mean, we're all trying to figure this this life journey, as we call it, out every day, almost, right? So, but you're being modest because you are you're you are definitely doing a lot of good in this in this world. So, um, <laughs> thanks, Mark. I'd love to. I'd love because you've always, from from my research, it seems like you've always been involved in helping others in some capacity. Like before this, you're at Movember. Like what? What's driving all of that? How did this come about?
1: Uh, I think I fell into it. I was actually uh, a friend of mine, Ron, who's uh, about a 70-year-old man who I just met through November at my time there, a uh, prostate cancer survivor. That's a pretty remarkable human being, has been a teacher his whole life, asked me that question uh, while sitting at dinner. <coughs> Honestly, I don't have a response. Um, I know that I, I, I fell into it. One thing that I find really fun a lot of the time, and I speak to quite a bit, is we we make such small little decisions in our lives sometimes um, that change the course quite a bit. And we don't realize it when we're making them. And they're not monumental decisions. As an example, in my first job, I got the job by sending an email that literally said to Write to Play and the Movember Foundation that literally said, "Hey, are you guys hiring?" Thanks, Jesse. No mm-hmm. idea who I was. Uh, <laughs> no real involvement other than with Movember. I had grown a mustache a couple times, and Movember had happened to respond. and it's, three months later, I think I'm working there and eight oh, wow. years later, I'm still there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And up until two years ago, uh, it really defined and started my career for me. And prior to that, I hadn't really ever been, well, one is like, I think it's really cool to think about those things. And I have like probably four decisions in my life that are like email type decisions or small little things that just like set the path for you. Um, and in this case, I kind of want to give the credit to the right place at the right time. I happened to send an email because I wanted to start a development through sports charity. I didn't know what I was doing. So I was like, oh, I'll go work in it for a little bit. And fell into it and started working at Movember. And Movember took off like it did in uh, 2010. And I think I just became super and hyper aware of how good it can feel to be working every day. In something where you you feel like you're making positive change, it's a really corny, obvious answer to give. Whether you're working in charity or whatever you're doing, uh, if it's leading to not just making a profit, but yeah, but doing something good, um, but really it, it felt good for me. So from uh, I'm a philo- I was a philosophy student, so from a from a philosophical point of view, I mean it's selfish. I feel good and I feel great about what I do on a daily basis. Yeah. And when you grind like most of us do in Toronto it's really nice to be able to feel positive about yeah. what you're doing and, and make a living in something that truly makes you feel good.
0: Yeah. Well, and when the grind is related to, like, literally helping, helping others and saving lives, I mean, that, that's got to feel pretty, pretty nice, right? Yeah, it, it, it absolutely does. <laughs> yeah. So then the shift, um, so now you're at Jack.org. Yeah. Um, were you at November when they started transitioning into mental health? Yes. Okay.
1: Um, uh, I was a big proponent of making that shift. Okay. Uh, At the time for me, it had nothing to do with my experience with mental health. In fact, like, to be honest, I've never, obviously I have my own things, but I've never been a person that has significantly struggled and I never uh, was aware of anyone in my life that was significantly struggling, though in hindsight, there definitely were people. And uh, since then have been significant people close to me. Um, but mental health for me was we were dealing at Movember with a community of people uh, that were generally young we built the mm-hmm. campaign in Canada thinking if we get young people on board older people will follow that to be aspirational and we still go by that at jack.org if we build something for young people everyone else will follow so our campus and university campaign blew up and what we were doing it for the cause was prostate cancer which is fantastic, but you're trying to change men's health. And what's the biggest thing we can do with this young group of people? It's probably, one, invest in mental health from a research perspective, but more so break down the barriers around masculinity, uh, start getting guys to ask questions about the way they were raised and the way that they're raising children and that sort of thing. And so it just made sense that if an organization and a movement that had captured the attention in a way that's never been done before of 20 to 30-year-olds... Uh, let's do something that really impacts them. And obviously their fathers, their uncles, their whatever may have prostate cancer and that can affect them. But it doesn't directly affect their person. Hmm. And so how can we start making change? And uh, so I was thrilled when globally we decided to make that change and Movember started funding mental okay. health. But again, at the time,
0: very little experience with it. Yeah. What are you seeing? Like, I'm always wondering, because just because we're in it so deep on a day-to-day basis but it seems like especially on the men's side of thing things um there is a pretty big movement right now or at least in the last few years it seems to get us guys talking about our feelings a bit right because we're we're for the most i think we're probably part of that generation that Mm -hmm. will start changing this but like our parents have raised us pretty much you know be the tough guy right or yeah i'm I'm generalizing but Um, you know, and crying or any of that stuff is, is seen as, as weakness.
1: Yeah, I am a optimist that has pessimism on that side of things okay. throughout um, my feelings of mental health. Uh, I obviously okay. work in this space and I have seen some honestly miraculous change mm-hmm. uh, in Toronto, as an example, or in big city centers. Generally, over the last five years, you're seeing some pretty liberal places. Uh, with people that have open minds and are willing to be open to accepting and changing. Um, But there's also a massive backlash against it and not necessarily, maybe backlash isn't the right word, though there is in those main city centers, you have people that push against it. But I think what's more important to recognize, oh, just, I mean, look who we're electing into politics. Sure. Um, Who uh, there is still significant as an example when Jack.org puts out a post about mental health that's let's say supporting the queer community, um, and if we promote it, meaning we want to get we want to get it out there and reach people that aren't part of our network, as soon as it's uh, political or significantly left, Mm -hmm. um, we start getting quite a bit of backlash as well. Uh, Sometimes from the older generation, but it's there. It's just, we're not immediately surrounded by it. And I think what I'm trying to say with this, and I don't want to be super negative because I'm not, I think there's been some remarkable change, but I also think it's important for us to be aware, especially the people working in the space that our circle that surrounds us tells us one thing And there's a whole, there's many other circles that are not ringing the same truth. So if you are part of the queer community in Toronto, you are having a very different experience to what a young person uh, within the queer, queer community in New Brunswick is seeing. And I think it's important to just highlight that while we've come so far, there really is so far still to go. Yeah. Um. And as soon as you step out of those main city centers, you start to see it. So again, really positive. There's been amazing change, yeah. especially within masculinity and people questioning the way we've been raised and that sort of thing. That will lead to big change over time. But I think we just need to remember that.
0: Yeah. That there is so much left to do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, let's not be jaded, right? Like yeah. I appreciate the, uh, the the transparency. Part of the reason I asked too, because I feel like. I'm in it day to day. So like, mm-hmm. your, your analogy to the different circles or pockets, you're right. I mean, I, I, personally, I may not be seeing some of those other circles. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, what what do you guys do at Jack.org? Uh, we're,
1: I guess the tagline is, we're Canada's only charity that trains and empowers young people to revolutionize mental health. Uh, what that essentially means is that we're putting... The change that needs to happen within youth mental health in Canada is where we focus, but also globally into the hands of young people and understanding that they're not just a story, that if we really want to make change, we need to engage them in the changes being made around youth mental health. So, our job is to train and empower them uh, through education, through resources, through actually giving them a stage, if that's the case, that might be part of the empowerment, to go out there and affect change in their community. So essentially we train them to identify barriers. So what's going on in your community? How do you look at your community and figure out what's not available for people? It might be stigma, it might be resources. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, may, it may be that your school doesn't have great policies around bullying or whatever it is. In yeah. your community, if you're in the If you're in Yellowknife or you're in Toronto, it's gonna be very different. So we don't tell people what to do, we train them how to look at your community, do a scan, figure out what the needs are, and then we'll help you build a plan to break those barriers down. Okay. Um, so that's basically what we do. I'm not gonna go into every program sure, right, but sure. we have 2,800 young people that are remarkably impressive, uh, working across the country that are leaders now, but also going into the workplace and all that stuff in let's say three, four, five, six years, and in 10 years, they'll be the leaders in the workplace that hopefully we're putting Canada in a really great place by not only, not only through the work they're currently doing, but also just developing leadership capacity yeah. in Canada that understands mental health and understands how to be empathetic towards everyone around you.
0: One thing I read on the, uh, I think it probably would have come from the website, but there was a really cool notion of, of how you guys are looking at this and it referred to the river that's mm-hmm. the passing through and that, you know, people are drinking from that pond or the river and they're, they're getting sick. You know, you can you can try to correct that, that exact location, but really... You know, going up to where the source is, yeah. um, is really where, where the work needs right. to be done, right? So like what, I, I just, I found that that's really smart, smart way to look at it. Mm-hmm. Like, what are some of the things that you're seeing uh, from your perspective to kind of tap into that source? I mean, that comes right back to the beginning of the
1: conversation around masculinity and that sort of thing. It's like, how do you change masculinity? You could try to convince that 50-year-old man that's uh, been living yeah. in, in that man's world uh, to change, but you're probably going to be uh, probably going to be pretty tough.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, what we're trying to do is understand our place within mental health and within revolutionizing it within Canada. Um, we're not, if you're in Ontario, we're not Cam H. We're not dealing with people that are in crisis, uh, that need help right away. We're trying to go upstream and essentially what we're talking about is just looking at mental health from a systemic lens and saying, okay, how do we actually change things before they happen, before, before you're in a bad place? As an example, most young people, I forget the, sti- the statistic off the top of my head, but their first interaction with the mental health system is at an emergency room.
0: Mm. Well,
1: that's not okay, but how do you change that? Yeah. Uh, you can't predict when people's issues are gonna onset, but you can start when they're in grade five with, yeah. or whatever the early grade is with emotional literacy and building resiliency and understanding how to recognize when you're struggling. We work upstream we work on that on that piece of things. Um, how can we educate our community whether that's young people or parents, um, on how to raise people in a different way, how to ask different questions, how to be supportive and empathetic, so that we can build a better and more supportive community uh, that's working upstream. And if we can do that, then the people that are working downstream, which isn't where we work, yeah. uh, hopefully the loads can be lightened a little bit um, and that there can be beds and there can be support yeah. for everyone when they need it.
0: Yeah, yeah, the idea is uh, ideally to keep people out of those beds. 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. interesting. No, thanks for, for sharing that detail. And do you guys, I'm just curious, do you guys work with other, um, like other countries or do you, is there any overlap i know because I, I mean everyone in canada jack is pretty well known like mm-hmm. it, it is the it is a staple for for youth mental health um but do you guys chat with like the u.s or other countries and yeah
1: sure um, we made a pretty well a very strategic decision about five years ago to not Uh, take our programs globally. So we've been asked by different countries to start a Jack chapter to deliver Jack talks um, and we don't do it. Um, We don't do it because Mm. we didn't want to boil the ocean and we Mm. think the best way for us to make a big difference globally is to make a big difference in Canada. If we can set the bar for how an organization or many organizations came together to do their individual work but also work together to make pretty miraculous change to the way government is funding mental health, to what the programs are available to what the level of education of our mass community is and all that stuff that sets okay. best practice for the globe. And hopefully that can make the biggest change versus us trying to set up chapters all over the place. Yeah. Um, and not be able to manage the five offices that are around the world. Okay. Uh, but what we do do from a global level is, uh, we share what we're doing. So we try to get in front of and un- and, connect with as many youth mental health organizations as we can we're part of a global coalition for youth mental health that works on kind of systemic change together okay um and we're a big piece of what we're trying to do moving forward is bring Canada together so that all the organizations within Canada are working together not competing with one another yeah. and understand their place and what we're trying to do so that we can push forward in the best way possible. If we can do that, that hasn't been done. Yeah. If we can do that, it's huge. (laughs) It's huge. And within the charity space, no matter what you work within cancer, mental health, whatever it is, uh, it's really hard to get all the big players to work together. And that's something that we're starting to take on now. If we can do that in Canada and we can make the change we want here, it will set the bar for the world. Uh, And I think that's the most important thing we can do globally versus... Spreading our programs across. Yeah,
0: yeah, I like that. That's a that's a unique perspective. Mm. Um, so what's so what's next? What's uh, what's coming down the pipe for you guys?
1: Um, I mean, May six, we're launching something called Be There, which has been in the works for a long time, uh, and it's an answer to a fairly big problem. Uh, we are telling people, and I say we, meaning just kind of in North America, but really across the world. We're telling people, especially young people, to reach out and ask for help. If you're struggling, uh, tell someone, get professional help, whatever it is, yeah. break down stigma, uh, have the courage to, to get out there and, and, and get support and understand that you won't be judged. The reality is um, your friends and family don't know how to be there for you, generally. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, stigma exists because of a lack of education. Yeah. And talking about stigma doesn't educate people. Uh, it may give a slight, slight education on the very top level of stigma and the fact that we're having a conversation about mental health. But my mother and my father or my best friend or my partner still may not know how to have a conversation around it. Um, so we started getting questions from a lot of young people that mm-hmm. were explaining that and uh, that they were running these initiatives. And then people were saying, well, I know my friend's struggling and I asked him, but he told me that he is OK. What yeah. do I do? Or we give a talk at. Uh, a corporate office. And the same thing happens. A guy walks up and then and says, my son is really struggling. I know he's really struggling, but he won't talk to me. Or I was trying to talk to my daughter and she had a panic attack. What do I do? Yeah. yeah. All those questions aren't answered in one place. Uh, so we did a landscape scan. And what we found was that that resource to educate yourself on how to support someone just doesn't exist. Uh, there was one, uh, but it's very top level around like kind of leaning into the awkward conversation but not like what do i do when what do i do when yeah it's probably all scattered i'm imagining totally so we did a 1200 person survey of uh, canadian young people or young people in canada and basically asked them are you comfortable being there for someone and if you're not where's the gap what's the knowledge gap and what we got back was 1200 responses that essentially boiled down into 50 or so questions that if we could fill this knowledge gap, um, we're gonna do a pretty good job of making people comfortable supporting people. Part of that is what it means to support someone. You're not there to fix them. Explaining the role of a support system uh, to make sure that people understand what they're actually there to do as a friend or as a family member. Um, And so we spent the last 18 months answering those questions and we're about to launch Be There, which if I do say so myself, is going to be the best resource that exists globally for understanding how to support someone who's struggling with their mental health. Um, It won't answer every question, but it will teach you the skills to be able to assess situations on your own and figure things out as you go. Okay. Um, there is no answer to the questions that right. I just put out there. H- how do you talk to your son if he's denying it? There yeah. is no answer to exactly what to do in a attack. It's different for every person, but if we can build the skills up of understanding how to assess those situations with People in Canada in generally, general will be in a much, much better place. So, yeah. yeah, we launched May 6th, and we're hoping that every person in Canada, and that's our goal, knows about Be there, and hopefully many of them proactively educate themselves because if you spend five minutes on it, you'll be in a much better place. If you spend five hours on it, there'll be enough content for you sure. to really
0: under, better understand mental health. So is this loaded up full of articles... Primarily, like what type of media? Is uh, on here? Not really articles.
1: Uh, it's it's essentially like a. So we have five golden rules that are the core of be there, and essentially the website will walk you through each of those five rules. You don't have to follow them in order, okay? Um, but what we it does try to flow you through it, and within it there's there's copy. So there's just regular copy around yeah. that's hopefully written in an engaging way, around answering certain questions. Um, if I take you through like one golden rule, the first golden rule is say what you see, which is pretty simple. And it's like answering a pretty simple thing that people don't, well, what do I do? How do I start the conversation? So it literally goes through explaining how simple it is to just start that conversation and what might come up when you do, what do I do if my friend gets mad at me because I did it as an example. And then it gives stories uh, like video stories of people explaining how they were there for someone or someone was there for them together and what it meant to each of the person, uh, the people and it, uh, shows that golden rule in action. Okay, and then cool. you're going on, and you'll see a few different stories for each golden rule. Um, and then there's just questions uh, that are like little pop-up uh, modals that that will answer the questions that you have uh, for supporting someone yeah. so I mean for the most part uh, people should just head to be there.org and, and yeah, check it yeah. out and learn for themselves because it's hard to explain it's a very sure. visual experience
0: yeah and for everyone listening I mean this podcast will be out when uh, when be there.org uh, launches we'll have everything in the show notes so and as you know, we're a big fan of questions, so <laughs> the power of a good prompt. <laughs> Um Cool. Okay, so I'll spend a little bit more time uh, on that maybe a bit later, but I want to kind of dial back just to you because, you know, you're leading a lot of really awesome stuff for people uh, around the country. Um, but the, at the end of the day, it kind of goes back to that airline example, right? If you don't put your oxygen mask on first, then... Right. You know you can't really help the person next to you so I'm curious to see how your own mental fitness or physical fitness I know you're big you're a big rugby rugby Mm -hmm. guy um, like how has that evolved over time as you've been working on all these different initiatives and with Movember and now Jack.org and uh, are you seeing a personal evolution on for sure Okay.
1: for starters, you mentioned physical, I mean, I'm falling apart as a broken old man, okay. uh, not that old. Yet, but My body yeah. feels it. Uh, so that's changing things a little bit, but no, on the, on the other side of things of like evolution as worse, and I mean, where do I start? Uh, I can go back to, I mean, it comes in phases and you, I don't think you really notice the change in yourself yeah. necessarily in the moment. Um, but I was raised in a way, uh, that essentially used violence to solve problems. Um, so, I grew, I grew up and several times was given, the, like, was told, um, if someone bothers you, you warn them a couple of times and on the third time you punch them. Yeah. Sure. And honestly, I lived a lot of my life with, within that thought process and never questioned it. So, when we talk about masculinity, I was raised in a very masculine household. And a very masculine family, which I love my family. They're amazing. Yeah. Um, But it made me who I was at that time. And about, I would say, 22, 23, I stopped and questioned. It was kind of the first time I think I was ever intentionally questioning the the things I was raised to believe. Because you often just don't question your parents when you're young. Or question anyone. And... uh, that was a huge change for me. Movember was a big part of that. Okay. Um, and just like understanding masculinity and the damage that the way we're raised can do. Um, so I remember giving a talk to a high school about like the way I raised was raised and this kind of thing and like how you can question it and, um, how it can be pretty miraculous to change that. Cause to me, when I started to change that and stopped using violence in any way, um, I started to question different things and started to learn the power of vulnerability and mm. and talking to people and how good it can feel to understand your emotions and and share with people what you're going through and how much it opens in door to have a better relationship with everybody yeah um, like being vulnerable is a key to it i tell you a, a little story that actually connects with who i am and now we're talking about things that in a lot of cases, neither of us is shared with anyone and that's what relationships are brought. So that was a big transition for me. And now I'd say it's more so about trying to force myself a little bit into reflection, okay. um, and asking why, uh, for yeah. a lot of things. Um, you know, there can be a lot of big questions we can ask ourselves. Um, for me, one big one has just been to start be intentionally asking why I'm doing something, especially living in a big city like Toronto. Um, it's so easy to go on autopilot and often i am on autopilot you're yeah. just going from thing to thing person to person and not stopping to say like why am i doing it or yeah. like yeah. as an example like looking for a new job like why am i looking for a new job yeah is like why am i unhappy where i currently am is it is like i just feel like people don't necessarily and i don't necessarily always ask those questions why am i still playing rugby and like learning what that does for me in a good way and and a bad way and so that's been a big evolution uh for me is just putting that kind of trying to put that intentionality into the things that i do so yeah i think i'm i'm continuing to evolve every day and there's much more than that yeah
0: are there any practices that have helped you just be because i i totally resonate with the autopilot notion and Mm -hmm. We're surrounded by that just in society in general so mm-hmm. that if we're not, I think you nailed it, if we don't consciously take the time to just question or pull out of that that scene, then it's just naturally we're going to fall into that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, even small things, you know, it's, I, I've been trying, like, if I have to take the streetcar somewhere to... You know not just jam a podcast in mm-hmm. and like try to learn like just actually look out the window and take a moment to just stop for a second right yeah um, uh that's yeah.
1: something i could practice way more yeah, I, like yeah being mindful for me is a constant struggle okay um and again that's the big city piece yeah um but being mindful of not being mindful I think yeah. is the beginning of, of some sort of mindfulness. Yeah. Um, and that I think that's an important part of like anyone I've ever spoken to that that's big on meditation tells you that like, stop thinking it's like sitting silently with your legs crossed and your hands in the air yeah. humming. It's not, it can be anything And yeah. for, I think like being self-aware and that's something that's, that's been new for me, understanding the power of just being self-aware of, Things that you kind of like about yourself and that you're doing well, but also things that you're not and not necessarily to
0: change them, just to be aware of them. Just be aware. Yeah, totally. Um, so what yeah. are some of the questions then that you, um, as you know, I mean, you, you mentioned one, why am I doing this? Um, but do you, are there three prompts that you can leave with us? So I think the why was a, was a big one. Yeah. Uh, another piece for me
1: is who, who do I want to be? And that sounds like a big... Question. That is a big question. Uh, I, I think in my case, I don't necessarily think that it is. Okay. Uh, Let's talk about that. Yeah. I know, I, I'm like pretty self-aware with who I want to be to the world. And that might not be how I was, how I ended up, I guess, being in this world. Like you raise raised in a certain way, you do things in a certain way. I, for me, who I want to be is a very patient, balanced person. Okay. That's like really important to me to not get too high or too low. I can be a very frustrated person. When I was younger, I used to have a pretty bad temper and it's still there somewhat, um, but like much more control over it. And one of the things I was ta- that it's become a question mark mine because I was talking to a friend who challenged me, I guess, to, to ask myself who I want to be when I'm not frustrated, mm-hmm. when I'm not upset. Uh, Because in those situations, if you try to change them, it can be pretty difficult. Uh, But if you try to change and be the person that you want to be in your everyday life when you're happy and smiling, um, you'll end up, at least this is what their thought was, that you'll end up at a place where you actually become who you want to be in those situations when you are frustrated and that sort of thing. So it's been a pretty uh, constant practice of mine over the last, I'd say, two months or so, not long. Okay. Uh, to start asking myself my daily life when I'm just happy go lucky of like that person I want to be when I'm upset, how would he do this a little okay. better or a little bit differently? And I have found that it's, that it's helped me quite a bit in those moments where I need to be, where I want to be a little bit different. Yeah. Um, and it just makes me more aware of the person I want to be while, when those moments come up and, and takes the pressure off changing in those moments. Cause yeah. it makes it not about this time when you're like worked up or you're sad or you're whatever it is for you. Um, uh, so yeah, so far so good. We'll see. Okay.
0: No, uh, I love the added perspective to that question. That, that changes it. Yeah.
1: Uh, the, the one, yeah, I think the, the other big thing for me, and this is less of a daily thing. And for me, it's been more of like a, tragedy or big life change and I say it with the context of not for everyone um I had a big learning about two and a half years ago um I lost my cousin uh very early my age I'm 30 almost 32 and one of my best friends and I I think I quickly learned a lot about grief Um, and how different people deal with grief and how we all Give ourselves a hard time for how we're grieving no matter who we are it's like the universal language of being human when you lose yeah. someone you give yourself a hard time for how you react whether that's too sad not sad enough whatever it is and what i learned for me is what's next is a very big question for me that that may not be right for everyone. Uh, people deal with grief in a certain way. And I say grief in this case, I'm talking about a significant loss and tragedy, but that could be losing a job, losing a partner, or just making a big change that you chose to do. There can be grief in that we've all experienced where we change something that we know is good for us. Um, but there's real grief that comes along to it. And for me, it's about what's figuring out. It's about figuring out what's next. How can the loss or whatever I just experienced, um, push me forward in a positive way. Uh, And again, that's not for everyone because some people need to sit with it, like really sit with it and think. And whether that's crying, whatever it is for a person for me, which included crying, included anger, it's, it's really what's next. And I have found a lot of light and positivity and, uh, growth in figuring out how I can take whatever I lost and, Use it to move forward, uh, but also to change the way I'm to live with it a little bit. For her. so, in Alicia's case, who is my cousin, it's how does she live through me? And so, she I did. have positive, I'm a little bit more positive because of her, and I have to remind myself on a daily basis I love a little bit more and try to love a little bit harder because of yeah. her, um, and try to just take some of the light. She was a remarkable, energetic angel of a person mm-hmm. that just kind of was that that yeah. always made people smile and so how do i i'm not necessarily always that person so how do i try to be a little more of the person and that's given me that's allowed me to deal with in a really positive way sure. so i think what's what's next has been a big question for me at all times but again uh with people that deal with things in a different way what's next may do the opposite for them
0: yeah no i i like it because i mean we all it's universal. We all deal with grief at some point, in in different capacities, like you've said. So I think uh, I appreciate you sharing that, and thank you. Um, last question for you: If you think about, you know, at the end of the day, all said and done, like what truly makes you smile each day, besides Dexter?
1: <laughs> Dexter is my Portuguese water dog, by the way, and he's adorable. Yeah. Um, what truly makes me smile every day? That's a great question. One that I haven't asked myself recently. Um, The biggest thing I think that makes me smile is like that, a weather change from (laughs) from cold to walking out in the sunshine, uh, shining on your face. Um, I would say what gets me going the most is when I have a positive effect on the people that are closest to me. And yeah. it's all, it's also what tears me down, um, mm-hmm. when I don't, and I'm pretty hard on myself when I feel like I'm having a negative effect on, on people that are close to me in my life, which obviously happens. So, sure. uh, I, I want to say, uh, there's a little bit of positive reassurance and I don't know if that's a good thing, but hearing or knowing that I am having a positive effect on the people lives around me really does. make me smile and and keep me happy and uh so i guess it goes to say that little comment that you make to people to show appreciation to some people me specifically it it makes a massive difference um yeah knowing knowing that something i did each day is is making the world a little better or making someone's life a little better does make me does make me smile
0: well, I, I hope you give yourself some self-love because you're, I mean, we, this is the second time we've, we've had a chat yeah. and there's something about you that you're, you're, you can feel the authenticity and kind of the, uh, I'll chalk it up as awesomeness of, of <laughs> your, you as a human. So, you know, take, take a few moments for you as well and just realize that, you know, you, the, the great work you're doing every day because it, it affects a lot of people.
1: Thank you, Mark. I, uh, I appreciate that, and uh, there you go. You just gave me a little bit of the smiles, right? There it is. <laughs> um, and uh, I feel the same, so it's, I mean, having a few conversations with you has been pretty remarkable, and thank you for what you're doing and bringing good messages to the world, so that's uh, it's pretty damn cool. You have got
0: it. Have the best day yet.